Today, October 22, is a very significant day in the history of our beginnings. Welcome to the Avenue History Podcast, Season 2, Episode 26, The World at War Again, Part 1. Last time, we finished up our trilogy on the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Nazi Germany by talking about how the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses handled their business there and comparing that to Adventists. Hey, it turns out Adventists weren't more or less courageous than most other churches. Few of them, by the way, took a principled, organized stand against the Nazi regime. We also talked about how Adventist Jews managed during those years. Not particularly great. And these episodes, these three Nazi episodes, raise the question about how the stories we choose to tell is the history we choose to remember. And the history we forget is sometimes more important than the history we remember. Now, in this episode, we are escaping the Nazis and jumping in our hot air balloon to get the big picture of how the rest of the Adventist Church managed during the Second World War. We're going to fly around, share a lot of stories over the next two episodes. I doubt you've heard most of these stories because there's just, there's so much that happened during these war years that it's hard to distill it down into a simple storyline. So we're going to take a shotgun approach over the next two episodes, telling a lot of the stories before bringing it together in the end. Well, Hopefully. That's the goal. So let's begin with Egypt. Egypt was technically neutral during the Second World War, but with British troops stationed there, Italian planes and ships routinely stopped by to say hello with a few bombs. It wasn't a very effective greeting, admittedly. British anti-aircraft guns managed to chase the Italian biplanes away. Most of them were from the First World War, that era. In July 1940, the Italian air assault lasted all of 10 minutes. Afraid of getting too close to the shore batteries, the New York Times reported that most planes dropped their bombs harmlessly into the sea. One, it seems, struck the propeller of the SS Zamzam. The Zamzam was an old British troop ship from the First World War that had been purchased by an Egyptian company in the 1930s to carry pilgrims to Saudi Arabia for the Hajj. Mechanics managed to fix the propeller by the end of December of that year, and the Zamzam was pointed in a new direction, the first passenger ship to the United States of America. And during those war years, a trip to America meant sailing south to South Africa, crossing the South Atlantic to the coast of South America, and then heading up the coast to Boston, which is north, by the way. Woohoo! If you were one of the 99 passengers on board... If you were one of them, I, I really hope you brought something to read. The Zamzam dropped their passengers off, picked up about 142 Americans, almost all of them Christian missionaries, including nine Adventist missionaries, who were returning to Africa just before the 1941 General Conference session. Frederick Lee, editor at the Review, wrote, quote, No general conference ever convened in such perilous times but that troublous times are not to deter the Advent believers from pressing on with their task. Troublous times they were. When W.E. Reed, president of the Northern European Division, was asked at the general conference session whether he had a good trip across the Atlantic, he shot back, quote, 
I have seen with my own eyes Davy Jones's locker, end quote. He was, it seems, the only civilian aboard a ship carrying British military experts to America, and it wasn't long before they spotted a German U-boat stalking them. As Reed tells it, quote, the captain lined the passengers up on deck and instructed them just what to do in case. There was no time to launch the lifeboats. A torpedo passed 40 feet from the bow. Another came still closer, and then a wisp of a hulk appeared on the far horizon. A convoy sent in answer to the prayer of the one Seventh-day Adventist preacher passenger. 45 ships flying the British flag. The submarine disappeared, end quote. Reed concluded, quote, I know now, as I have never known before, that we have a God who hears and answers prayer. The cloud that hung over the ten to 15,000 Avenus gathered for the GC session in San Francisco that year were concerned over the foggy fate of those aboard the SS Zamzam. The Zamzam was met on the Atlantic early one morning by the German raider Atlantis a slippery master of disguise that had been wreaking havoc in the Southern Hemisphere by posing as Russian or Dutch or Japanese merchant ships. The Atlantis recognized the shape of the Zamzam as a troop transport, which is, of course, what it used to be, and then it opened fire. Nine 150-millimeter shells blasted the side of the Zamzam, and the fight was over just like that. The Allies knew something had happened to the ship, but they didn't exactly know what happened. It was first reported that the Zamzam had been sunk. Then the British said she was actually safe. Hours later, the BBC reported that the ship had been sunk, and Berlin denied knowing anything about the Zamzam. Other sources claimed the Zamzam was returning to America, and now it was the British authorities' turn to say they didn't know where that report was coming from. There was confusion all around, and with nine Adventist missionaries on board, many of the church leaders in San Francisco undoubtedly had a personal connection to at least one person aboard that ship. The next day, May 21, 1941, is when the San Francisco Examiner finally reported that the ship had been sunk with all aboard saved. General Conference leaders then worked furiously to determine the fate of the Avenus missionaries aboard the Zamzam, sending a steady stream of telegrams to U.S. and German officials. But it wasn't until weeks later, in early June, that the church learned that the missionaries were safe in France and that the Germans were willing to return all genuine missionaries, whatever that meant. While these negotiations were going on, the church was leaning on the U.S. State Department to get in touch with another ship, the El Nil, which was carrying 12 missionaries and their families and following the same route as the Zamzam. Now, the story of the Zamzam and W.E. Reed's dance with German torpedoes illustrates how church leaders handled these war years. Church leaders moved efficiently and effectively to safeguard her missionaries and repatriate them when necessary. And Reed's plucky attitude toward torpedoes shows the courage that many individual Adventists possessed. A sniveling bureaucracy content to hide behind formal statements could not have risen to meet the challenge. After all, the church could have easily grounded her missionaries and offered her sincerest thoughts and prayers during this difficult time. But no, the message must go out. As Frederick Lee had said, troublous times are not to deter the Advent believers from pressing on with their task. 
or as a church leader in Scotland put it, the war is creating difficulties, but it is also offering unique opportunities if we will but grasp them. In China, a church leader wrote that God's church will triumph. Quote, there never was a time of more uncertainty. We are surely in a crisis. It is for us to make this crisis count for Christ. Never should we entertain the thought that this work will fail. End quote. This courage was everywhere. We see it firsthand when the Adventist church in Norwich, England, was bombed. The church members then rented a hall and invited the community to join them for worship. Curious at this congregation that had their church blown up, more than 50 people began worshiping with the Adventists, leading the church to call it a bomb of blessing. I guess that's one way to look at it, right? All around the world, we see the same display, this mixture of an enthusiasm to roll with the punches, this desire to be impossibly optimistic even when things were blowing up, this desire to see opportunity in this chaos. It seems that the church was caught up in the war spirit that had crossed oceans and penetrated flesh and blood. Was the world caught up in a great battle between right and wrong, which is undoubtedly how many allied leaders saw it? Well, so was the church, and even more so. Was the world sending her soldiers into foreign lands? Then the church would send her soldiers, her missionaries, into dangerous foreign lands as well. This moment called for courage, and the church met the mood. When we think of the Second World War and Adventists and their role in the Second World War, we tend to think of the Adventist soldiers like Desmond Doss or Hazel in Germany or maybe even a few more if you dig deep enough in your memory to remember who they are. Those are the people we think of. Why? Because Desmond Doss was on TV getting a Medal of Honor from the president. We don't tend to think of our missionaries because our missionaries weren't on TV getting medals of honor from the president. But they were heroes just the same. Considering the danger that they were often in, it calls to mind the words of Eowyn in The Lord of the Rings. Yes, it's another Lord of the Rings reference, okay? You just got to get used to it. Anyways, Eowyn said, those who have not swords can still die upon them. And for that, we're going to dedicate this episode to the missionaries. Now, it's worth remembering that Avenus, like many others, had seen the war clouds coming for over a decade. They had carefully noted deteriorating diplomatic relationships and corresponding arms development, and the General Conference began urging missionaries to leave places like Japan and Korea in 1940. Just before the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, which brought America actively into the war, one could make the case that America was already in the war by shipping um, personnel and materiel to uh, England and Russia and so forth. But anyways, the attack on Pearl Harbor brought America actively into the war. And just before that happened, the General Conference again sent a flurry of cables to missionaries in Asia, urging them to please retreat to safer lands. To the missionaries in China, the telegram sent on November 11th, 1941, again, nearly a month before Pearl Harbor, read, quote, Owing increased danger... And after wide counsel, General Conference again urges missionaries Shanghai, Hong Kong, Canton make necessary arrangements for transportation and handing work nationals preparatory immediate evacuation upon instructions from division. All should understand that those remaining do so on their own responsibility. End quote. Now, 
when sending these cables, you had to abbreviate and skip words that you didn't need and hope that people still understood what you were talking about. Okay, so it doesn't read very smoothly. But I think the meaning is clear enough. Turn over your work to national Adventists, to Chinese Adventists, and get to safety. Many did, of course, but some did choose to stay. And for those who did choose to stay, the General Conference sent them a year's salary in advance and wished them the best of luck. Now, of course, Adventist missionaries weren't the only ones who often chose to stay. Another Protestant missionary wrote to his mission board some words that were worthy of any good Adventist missionary and were quoted in an Adventist publication. They said, quote, We are living dangerously. We are not living on a security-first basis. There are serious days ahead for us all, and our service has now become a high venture of faith as never before. We go forward in faith in one who is above time and its turmoil and in whose peace we can abide. End quote. Every Adventist missionary who stayed had a story. In China, missionaries entering Wenchow on a boat were fired upon by the Japanese. The Adventist hospital in Chongqing had plenty of near misses from bombs before it was eventually blown up. Later, an Adventist student died when a Japanese bomb collapsed the bomb shelter he and 50 other people were in. In Hunan province, an Adventist pastor was loading a boat with supplies to take down river when the air raid siren went off, so he hurried up. And when he got to his destination the next day, it too was being bombed by dozens of planes. Quote, it was hard to keep track of them all and to know when to duck. Several of us crossed the river, the pastor said, and went into the burning streets, dressing wounds, passing by those for whom there was no hope, and helping to dig others out of holes and wreckage before the fires reached them, end quote. In Hong Kong, the Avena Sanitarium was bombed. It, quote, was a regrettable fare, to be sure, a missionary wrote. But we get used to those things. There were 20 thousand Seventh-day Adventists in China, not including the 200 missionaries, and it wasn't easy for missionaries to leave them to face this war alone. In the British Union, the war initially was just an inconvenience for Adventists. The first way church leaders felt this war was when the British government took Watford Sanitarium and turned it into a psychiatric hospital. The next way the war really began affecting the church was in the nightly blackouts, which began in September of 1939. The goal was to put up heavy curtains or boards to prevent German airplanes from being able to bomb accurately at night. But it also led to a lot of car crashes and an increase in crime, as you can expect. For Avenus, this meant nightly evangelistic series were difficult to hold. So some evangelists tried to run them during the afternoon, but it just wasn't the same. Sunday afternoon in England, it turns out, is a time for rest, not a time to go hear some preacher. The Stamborough Press suffered a loss of their young salesmen to the army, but otherwise printed a military edition of Steps to Christ that sold very well. The first civilian English deaths occurred when a German Heinkel bomber crashed in Clacton, east of London. It had probably been laying sea mines, and when it crashed over the town, it uh, blew up a large chunk of the city. Only a few people died, but 150 were wounded. One Avidus member woke up to see her entire roof come crashing down on top of her, but walked away without a scratch. The war was just an inconvenience. Arthur and Barbara Farrow, two Avidus newlyweds, departed England to embark on their honeymoon to Africa, where they would serve as missionaries. They were a part of a convoy of ships nicknamed Convoy Faith, 
because of the number of missionaries on board. As they sailed 300 miles off the coast of Spain, German Condor bombers appeared out of nowhere and bombed their ship, the SS California. They escaped in a lifeboat and spent 15 years as missionaries in Africa. The war was just an inconvenience. Things escalated in 1942. Pearl Harbor had been bombed shortly before, drawing America into the war. Ten hours after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, Japan invaded the Philippines, and at the same time, they began the Battle of Hong Kong and the push towards Singapore. Suddenly, the cables from the General Conference grew more urgent. Missionaries in Singapore couldn't, as with China, move west into free China. Many of them in Singapore boarded a ship to South Africa and from there to America, following in reverse much the same route as the SS Zamzam. Second ship of missionaries arrived at Jakarta and went into town for supplies. While ashore, the Japanese bombed their ship, destroying everything they owned. Naturally, they got on another ship and continued their journeys. Missionaries caught in Hong Kong and the Philippines were not so fortunate. The sudden Japanese offensive was a body blow to the Adventist leadership in the Far Eastern Division. The president, V.T. Armstrong, was in America at the time and couldn't get back, so the division secretary, W.P. Bradley, was placed in charge of the division. The president of the China division was put in a concentration camp when he was captured in Hong Kong. His secretary and treasurer were both in the Philippines, and so the leadership of the entire division was effectively cut off. The fate of those captured in the Philippines and China and Singapore and Burma was mixed. Some of the believers in Shanghai were left alone, but others were sent to concentration camps, where most of them would be found at the war's end as little more than skin and bones. A General Conference committee member wrote in the understatement of the century, quote, It is not very cheering to learn of our missionaries being in concentration camps. End quote. No kidding! The fall of the Philippines was the greatest single loss for Adventist missions. Some 89 adults and 27 children were captured by the Japanese there. News about their fate was slow and incomplete. It was a full year, for instance, before church leaders could say with any certainty that most of them were alive. News about the 25,000 Adventist members of the Philippines was even more scarce. The Adventist presence in Singapore, where the Far Eastern Division was headquartered, was just decimated. The Japanese attack coincided with the attack on Pearl Harbor, and while it took a while for Japanese troops to reach Singapore itself, the bombers came early and often, night and day, for over a month. One Adventist witness described it, quote, The destruction in the city was terrible. We soon found that the invaders were concentrating on the thickly populated tenement areas where the common people lived. Thousands lost their lives. Truckload after truckload of bodies was removed to the morgue. Life was uncertain. When we were in the city, we always kept in mind the location of the nearest air raid shelter in which we could flee. One of our missionary friends brought his automobile down to the docks and had his chauffeur with him to take the car back to the mission. They reached the gate to the docks just as the bombs began to fall. They had to stop at the gate and show their papers and have their baggage examined before they could go on board the ship. The British customs officials invited them all to go into the air raid shelter for safety. This missionary and his wife went with the customs officials and told the native chauffeur to come inside with them. He said, no, I will stay here and watch the car. I will lie in the ditch under the trees. The bombs dropped all around. When the raid was over and the missionaries came out of the customs air raid shelter, they found that the automobile had been blown to pieces. Their baggage was scattered all over the road 
and the chauffeur had lost his life lying in that ditch. Later, we saw this missionary and his wife walking toward the ship, carrying in their arms the garments which they had been able to gather up from the wreckage. End quote. As their ship left the harbor, one of several carrying the last of the Americans out of Singapore, the ship suddenly stopped and began reversing its engines. A British naval patrol had appeared and told the ship to immediately stop because they were heading into an unmarked minefield. Once the ship reached Java, they learned that some of the other ships in the convoy, which had been just 30 minutes behind them, had been sunk by Japanese planes. So the missionaries changed ships in port and headed to Australia. When they eventually arrived in America, they learned that four days before, the ship they had been on had been sunk by a Japanese sub. Europe wasn't doing a whole lot better. The Northern European Division structure was sidelined. The General Conference took over. W.E. Reed was kept in Washington and later reassigned, rather than risk another encounter with a German U-boat. The cable from the Southern European Division read, quote, Bitter persecution. Two publishing houses closed. School confiscated. 250 churches closed. 900 brethren and sisters in prison for Christ. Difficulties increasing. Grace abounding. Courage good. End quote. Now, not all of the interned Adventists were those captured by the Germans or Japanese. At least a dozen were German missionaries working in the South Pacific who were quickly captured by the Allies and held at camps in Australia and India. But back in America, the escaping missionaries were treated as celebrities. Pacific Union College, the rebranded and relocated Healdsburg College, invited over 50 missionaries to come and speak, including one Neil Wilson, 21-year-old who had been serving in Africa, who would later become General Conference President, and whose son, Ted Wilson, is currently General Conference President. The missionary party at Pacific Union College was called, quote, the most colorful social occasion some of us have ever experienced, end quote. Alumni shared stories and took pride in a university that had dispatched 250 missionaries. These words were noted on the occasion, which may have been from J.N. Andrews, the church's first official foreign missionary. Quote, there are two roads open to the church, expand by missions into all the world and grow, or remain at home and die. End quote. Adventists believed that they were to go into all the world with the gospel. This worldwide mission had finally met a worldwide war, and the Adventist church didn't even flinch. Hey, it's me again. If this episode didn't quench your desire for more Adventist history content, then go subscribe to Avenus History Extra. It's a private podcast that I do for those who support the Avenus History Project. You can get access to Avenus History Extra on the website, which is avenushistoryproject.org, or by becoming a patron at patreon.com. Now, there's more variety at Avenus History Extra, in case you were wondering. I do some interviews. Sometimes I do bonus episodes. You know, I, we had a good episode here in the Avenus History Podcast, and I want to talk some more about it. Other times, I go behind the scenes at conferences I attend, like the Women in Seventh-day Adventist History Conference. What's more, just as a second announcement for you, Michael Campbell and I are leading a bus tour in October 2024. So if you want to go drive around New England a bit, see the, see the sights and have some fun, well, you can sign up for our bus tour newsletter, once again, at AdventistHistoryProject.org. 
And we're going to keep you up to date there about what you need to know to go and sign up for that and all of that. So just to be very, 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 very clear, we don't have a sign up for the bus tour itself, but it's a sign up for the newsletter so you can stay informed about the bus tour. So I don't have to make announcements every single time and interrupt these episodes and all of that. That's where those announcements are going to be. So if you're interested, head on over to the website. You can sign up for the bus tour newsletter over there. Okay, I think that about does it. Thanks again for listening.